Aristea Goes Everywhere, Episode 7, Diocletian's Palace. Every night when Aristea went to bed, her mother or her grandmother or her auntie would tell her stories of places and people all over the world. And every night, Aristea would dream of great people and breathtaking places. In the morning when she awoke, Aristea would continue to think about the stories and her dreams. Aristea was sure she was a princess, because princesses sometimes had to make very difficult decisions, like Princess Yelena, who decided to follow the Russian Tsar and his family to Siberia, or like Queen Elizabeth of Bosnia, who tried to protect her daughter's throne. Aristea wasn't ready to grow up and be responsible for such decisions yet, but she wanted to be ready for them when she was older. Aristea was determined to be the best possible princess she could be, even though it meant she would have to do very hard things. This was one of the reasons she loved hearing stories about the great princesses of the past and how they approached difficulties and success. Aristea and her mother Antonella were visiting Split in Croatia. They were having a lot of fun with Aristea's Nona, Dragica, who was visiting from her home in Montenegro. Dragica had lived in Split for many years and knew all of the secrets and secret places of the city. One day, they decided to take a special visit to a place in Split called Diocletian's Palace. Aristea's ears perked up when she heard the word palace. She dearly loved visiting places where royal people lived and imagining what their lives had been like. How big is the palace? Aristea asked excitedly. And who was Diocletian? Antonella smiled at Aristea. She knew how much Aristea loved stories, and she also knew how much Dragica loved to tell stories. She settled in for a long discussion. Diocletian was a Roman emperor nearly 2,000 years ago who lived right here where we are now in Split. He was a very famous Roman emperor and presided over some huge events. He also built the enormous palace we are going to see today. It's a very busy place and there will be a lot of people there to going to eat, shopping, and even going to and from their homes. People still live in the palace? Aristea was astounded. It's not that kind of palace, Antonella broke in. Diocletian did live there, but it was built more like a fancy army base. So it's not one building, but many buildings within great walls. Although it does rather glitter in the sunlight. The white stone is still absolutely beautiful. Was there a princess at the palace? Aristea asked hopefully. Yes, Dragica told her, there was a princess. And although we know a bit about her, there is actually a very big mystery. All of this was very intriguing, and Aristea snuggled in with her Nona to hear more. A mystery was just perfect for her to practice her skills as a princess detective. The time of Diocletian was a time of great change in the Roman Empire. Dragica explained. There were changes in the way the empire was governed as Diocletian expanded the government to make a huge bureaucracy. 
and there were changes in religion as Christianity became more important. And, most confusingly, there were changes in how the government was led, as the number of emperors at one time kept changing. This part is very complicated, Antonella reminded Dragica. I think Aristea would like to jump ahead to the part about the princess. It is very complicated, Dragica agreed. Maybe that's what you should remember through the rest of the story, Aristea, that the story of Flavia Maxima Fausta, because that was the name of the woman who would be an empress, happened at a time that was extremely complicated. Unfortunately, in Roman times, very little was written about women in official records. It was not a time when women were considered to be of very much historical importance, other than for the children they gave birth to. This is one part of the problem with Fausta's story. We know that her father was an emperor, as was her brother. Her father arranged a marriage with a man that would become Constantine the Great, who Christianized the Roman Empire. We also know that Fausta's three sons would all become emperors as well, and both daughters would marry very powerful men who also ruled. We even know what Fausta looked like, because there was a bust of her head that has survived for over a thousand years that came to be displayed at the Louvre Museum in Paris. Was she beautiful? Aristea asked. According to the bust, she was very beautiful, Dragica answered. What about her eyebrows? Aristea asked again. She was still working out all the ways people could look very unique and beautiful, and was especially quite intrigued by the artist Frida Kahlo, whom Aristea admired very much. Dragica, who knew about Aristea's enjoyment of Frida Kahlo, laughed before answering. It's funny that you mention that, because the bust of Fausta does seem to have a very prominent, although very well-styled, eyebrow. The best part about her bust is that it seems to be saying, hmm, quite clearly, as if Fausta was trying to figure something out. And probably Fausta did have quite a lot to figure out, because when she married Constantine, she was about 17 years old, only about half her new husband's age. In fact, Constantine already had a son named Crispus, who was actually closer to Fausta's age than Constantine himself was. Fausta had grown up the daughter of an emperor, but it is an entirely different thing to have to be an empress than it is to be a princess, and Fausta had to learn this very quickly. But, however difficult becoming an empress is while still a teenager, Fausta was very loyal to her husband from the beginning. Not long after their marriage, her father became involved in a plot to overthrow Constantine. Because Fausta was his daughter, he believed that she would be loyal to him, and he tried to get her to help him with removing her husband. But Fausta instead went to Constantine and told him everything definitely saving his rule and probably saving his life. She was loyal to her husband, even though she knew that being discovered would probably mean death for her father. And, indeed, it did. How horrible that must have been for her, Aristea cried. It was, replied Dragica, but times were more horrible in general then, and her father was not a good father 
He put her in danger and wanted to get rid of her husband. Dragica went on with her story. Really, the only thing that continued to be difficult for Fausta was that her mother-in-law, Constantine's mother Helena, was very powerful, very active in public life, and Constantine deferred to her over all other women and most men. Helena's importance can be seen in the coins that Constantine honored her by putting her picture on. In these portraits, she is always seen wearing a diadem. Fausta, on the other hand, is not shown with a diadem. What is a diadem? Aristea asked. She was always looking for new ways to tell if someone was a princess. A diadem is a bit like a tiara. It is a headband with jewels on it that shows someone is royalty, said Antonella. Aristea did love headbands. She decided to call them diadems from now on. Would you like to hear the rest now? Dragica asked. There is actually not very much more. This was not shaping up to be a very long story at all, unlike the other princesses. Aristea was very confused about how someone could be an empress and yet have so little story to tell. She nodded to her Nona to continue. Fausta was married to Constantine for 19 years. After 17 years, he gave her the honor of being called Augusta, which was a very big deal. And Augusta could create her own coins instead of waiting for somebody else to do so. They could also wear clothing that was strictly limited to the imperial family. And most importantly, they could have their own court. This means that they did not have to fully rely on our male relatives to make a place for them wherever he chose to put them. She could make her own place. That sounds like much more freedom, Aristea said. It is, Dragica replied. But then something, we don't know what, went very wrong. Just two years after Constantine named Fausta Augusta, she died from being in a bathroom that was too hot. I don't understand, Aristea said. Basically, she cooked to death, Antonella replied. Aristea gave a little screech. This is the worst tragedy I've heard so far, she exclaimed. It had never even occurred to her that someone might cook to death in a bathroom. But that wasn't all, Dragica continued. Her stepson, Constantine's oldest son, Crispus, also died from poison. And then Constantine ordered that their names be entirely erased from all official records, and they were never spoken of again. Aristea was too shocked to even close her mouth. The very thought! She had heard stories of princesses in terrible situations before, but to be completely erased as if you never existed was a fate she had never envisioned. Surely your children and your family would always remember you. Dragica noticed Aristea's stunned expression and patted her knee. You see, this is why I told you we hardly know anything about Fausta, the empress who sometimes lived in the palace we are going to visit. Although, I will say she was not entirely forgotten. We are talking about her now, 1700 years later, and when a eulogy was written for her son Julian, the rule about pretending Fausta didn't exist was broken. 
She was described as having a noble and beautiful character that was unmatched by other women. But why did she die? Aristea asked. This story all seemed very abrupt and made no sense. We don't know, Dragica said. There was probably a huge scandal because Constantine made sure that her name and the name of his oldest son, Crispus, was totally erased. But we really don't know what that scandal was. There are many different stories, but those are just stories and not necessarily the truth. Now I'm always going to wonder, Aristea said, what happened to Fausta? You certainly aren't the only one, Antonella replied. There are entire university courses that try to figure out this mystery. Aristea thought those might be exactly the type of university courses she would want to take when she grew up, and she filed the thought away in her brain to think about later. Figuring out mysteries about princesses might be the best thing to study in school ever, certainly more interesting than endlessly reciting the poems her teacher chose for class, which always seemed to be the most boring poems in the book. Aristea, Dragica, and Antonella all got off the bus near Diocletian's palace and walked closer. Her Nona wanted her to see the whole palace before they went in, and Aristea clapped her hands over her mouth in wonder, her eyes huge. The palace was enormous and built on the outside entirely of white stone that glistened in the sunlight. The reflection from the ocean in front of it made the entire structure glow as though it were lit from within, and people were everywhere. There were restaurants, shops, and banks, and even some offices, and they were all operating out of this beautiful and ancient structure. It was marvelous, and it was overwhelming all at the same time. She grabbed her Nona's hand so they could walk in. Once inside, Aristea was almost completely lost. The high walls of different buildings within the building left only tiny alleyways to walk through, which sometimes opened into large plazas and other times twisted and turned like a maze. She could not figure out where they were or where they were going. In one plaza, a more modern and very colorful building which looked like something a princess would live in was a hotel but it was surrounded by the white Roman walls. A large bell tower stretched above the palace walls, and Antonella pointed out two black sphinx statues. Those are from ancient Egypt, Antonella said. They are thousands of years old, much older than this palace even. Aristea walked over to touch one of the statues, wondering what it would feel like to touch something so old. It felt like cool stone, just like the other statues Aristea touched. The three decided to sit down and have a gelato so Aristea could catch her breath, but it was all still so huge and so busy and so glowingly white that it was too much to take in. Is there a time to visit when it isn't so crazy? Aristea asked. She would like to explore, but was finding it hard to explore when there were so many people around every corner she turned. Antonella was very understanding about that. She had grown up and split herself, and knew how wonderful the palace could be, and also how overwhelming the number of people were to a little girl. We will definitely come back when it is not so busy, she said, 
and maybe you and I can play a game of hide and seek here. How would you ever find me? Aristea said. I will always find you, Antonella told her, and Aristea felt very safe despite the crowds and the enormous buildings, and she snuggled into her mother's lap.